0: Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our next episode of Decoding AQ. Today, I've got a good friend of mine, Lars Hyland, with me, and he has almost three decades of experience in the design and implementation of large-scale learning programs for some of the largest brands on the planet. You were also head of consulting at Epic when they won the e-learning company of the year. And you now sit as the chief learning officer at Tatara, which is an open learning technology platform. So I'm really looking forward to digging into our conversation together. So welcome, Lars. Thank you,
1: it's lovely to be here.
0: Good. So So first question, have you always lived in Brighton?
1: Oh, good question, no. You might guess from the name, um, it has a, a Scandinavian uh, tilt to it, and I was born in Copenhagen uh, in, in Denmark, uh, but quickly, as you can tell from my accent, moved to London um, and grew up in South London. Um, so it's been a bit of a long time there and then studied up north, uh, Manchester, York, did a master's up there and then got my first job actually and actually chose this it's what now is a much more mainstream industry than it was back then. As you can imagine, the concepts of
0: E-learning. interactive
1: media. Yeah, it, well, interactive media in its general sense was very um, new and novel and certainly free internet so, so I got my first job down on the South Coast working for a company that is now no longer around called Future Media, um, which was one of the pioneers, actually, in interactive video, um, which was these big... Twelve-inch uh, disc where you could do it as sort of interactive, um, random access video. So I'm, I'm, I could I could geek yeah. out on that quite a lot. But at the end of the day, we were doing some quite interesting things back then, uh, in terms of genuine simulations. Um, it was hard work. It was good quality video, um, interesting interaction, and and fixing colors on your on your PC. So that was that's how it was. Very cool. But, yeah, but over that time we've we've swapped that, haven't we, for everything yeah. to be fully connected online, great book, great broad brand and uh, and and uh, a really good media experience.
0: I guess it's interesting that you know you can plot various things over those you know nearly three decades, as I say, of mm. where some things have stayed the same. And some things have changed, you know, certain principles um, about the methodology or thinking of learning and, you know, Mm. uh, applying knowledge and sharing knowledge to then the realms of possibility that has happened through internet and connectivity and things from a from a sense of your career through each of those, um, you know, journeys, places, moments that you worked in. What's kind of shaped some of that career in your thinking? What are maybe some of the highlights of experiences that have evolved the way you think?
1: Well, I've always um, had a, a strong interest in technology. Um, I have done since uh, the early days. In fact, that master's I did was in music technology. So it was a bit of a mashup between an earlier degree of information technology and business. How, do you, how does it apply in a workplace? Um, and then uh, having a crack at the, the, the music side of things. Deep dive even more into how technology impacts uh, particular uh, domains, such as music, for example. And there are, if you look at it, music is a massive uh, early adopter of technology. Um, you know, the first universal network was something called musical. Music. Uh, well, I've forgotten the name of it now. <laughs> Music. Uh, it was a MIDI, basically the digital interface that connected all up all the all the synthesizers and samplers and things that now we just take for granted. In fact, we take it even further for granted because we can do all of these things on our phone or our iPad, and it's it's much more simple than it was back in back in the eighties and the and the nineties when it sort of really started to take hold culturally. So, um, but but I like digression, but but. But what I was doing at uh, back then was trying to use novel technology with coding, um, interesting um, new ways to make sounds and control sound, but then also to help musicians use it. And I realized I was the only one putting help on my programs. I was the only one really interested in the user interface as well to make it really straightforward. And then, so it got me more and more interested in how computers can help you learn more effectively and not just learn, but do things more effectively. So I had this hypothesis or view but that back then, and it's, and it's only just been relatively recently, that this has started to become real, is that computers were things that were useful things, but they were often quite complicated and difficult to use and that you had to go elsewhere, find out how to learn it, to then go back and do it, um, and that's a that's a sort of simplistic way of looking at a lot of training that people still do. Is they're abstracted away from their workplace, and then they uh, uh, and then are asked to come back into the workplace and, and apply that new knowledge and skills. And In fact, that's that's often very challenging and, and not that effective way of, of of doing it. So back then, I you know when is this? It's nineteen ninety. Realized that what if. I could turn that around. What if, what if I could create a learning environment, like an interactive learning environment, in which you could actually do these complicated things or more relatively complicated things, like creating these amazing sounds uh, in software, which was novel back then. Um, so that was my—that was what I did my thesis on. Was that, and, to, and then was tasked with creating it, <laughs> which I, which I managed to do in a in a fantastic technology called. Um, HyperCard, which was an Apple product back then, which was a forefather really of democratizing access to inter- creating interactive media. So it was it was ahead of its time. It became very very popular, in fact, and then for some unknown reason disappeared uh, <laughs> um, uh, probably a couple of decades or fifteen years ago. But, um, but I, I'm telling that story because um, that notion of being able to create a rich learning environment in which you can perform your role and job effectively. So you've got this support network around you that, that it actively supports you is really now only becoming a reality, isn't yeah. it? With becoming with faster. the technologies that we have. Yeah, so, so it's taken that length of time, um, a lot of evolution and change in technology and to a lesser extent, um, a change to the way people understand how we learn and how we do things in our job and how we behave, particularly in the workplace and also in education. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, a, been a long journey, but it's very exciting next 10 it years is. or I so, mean, I think.
0: The, every moment that you live is the most exciting moment to be alive, right? Because of your, you know, if you, you know, we share this kind of passion for future and for technology and, the opportunities of where that can make things easier and better it's getting that way it's democratizing it from where it was like you said quite technically challenging to use that tool to create what you wanted to create but now the ability for everyone to be a content creator just about every medium um has opened up now from a challenge of maybe creation to one of filtering and curation where we're almost overwhelmed from too much. And I'm interested um, to understand from your perspective of with all of these different technologies that have come and gone and you know more use them, less use them, what's been some of the fundamentals of learning, particularly in e-learning and you know these immersive technologies, that has stayed true throughout all of those periods of, oh, there's this software or this technology or this platform? What are the sort of core principles that you've always uh, felt back on about how people learn or the behaviours or things like that, that that we can learn from you?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, well, one of them is is fairly simple but difficult, which is that in any um, attempt to support a large group of people, um, typically, um, with a, uh, with a new set of knowledge or skills and behaviours that you want to encourage, is that um, the technology there is is there as a support to help with scalable access to that and to and to understand how people are uh, progressing um, with with that that process. Um, and, and you've got a plethora, of, an amazing uh, choice now of different types of media that you can use, interactive or otherwise. Um, making those choices as to what you use um, needs to be secondary to the core uh, um, uh, succinct um, descriptions and, 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 the, and the core content that's being conveyed. And it's not just content, it's the activities that you're asking people to do, uh, the sequence in which they do them, how they interact with others um, as part of a group, how that interfaces with the actual real world workplace that they're in. And that means you've got more and more variables that you can't control um, as a result. But you've got to be mindful of that if you're really interested in the end um, outputs being effective and actually supporting these people. Uh, to to make that journey uh, effectively, so you know, um, there's a risk that, that you get too fixated on the technology because you can um, at, at the expense of that, and and there's you know, there's plenty of of, of, of unfortunate stories of projects that have failed where you know you've 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 had great investments made in using these these things and they fall. They fall to the side because they miss the fundamental points around it. Often some of the most effective one learning um, solutions are the ones where you genuinely spent time understanding what people are currently doing and how they're going to move, how you want them to move to a, to a new way of doing things. And it can be quite simple solutions. In fact, it may not even be a training solution. It may be just a switch in the tools they use or, or whatever are. Or, or the people that they interact with or were just removing barriers <laughs> so that performance support mentality i think is and that performance consulting which is now a more of a thing i mean it was always a thing performance support was always a thing predating everything i was doing back in the early 80s some really strong proponents of that uh, and they're still you know still there um, but it's taken a long time i think for that thinking to become more more uh, manifested
0: uh, yeah yeah, yeah. I think one of the challenges I'm seeing a lot, and it's it's always been there. This sort of uh, issue around scaling training, scaling learning, uh, where the stats are pretty shocking in terms of how many actually do it. You know, you can provide it, you can have great technology, you can have great content, but then we're in the low percentages of those, not only get it, oh, I'm excited, I sign up, but follow it through and not only follow it through, get the outcome at the other end that you're wanting, the performance gain, the new bit of knowledge, the new way of thinking, is that that sort of gap between those that are trying to design, prepare, provide and implement and those that are going through it and on it, there's always this challenge of a some sort of disconnect of the follow through. And I, I don't think we've got this right yet, And it's a huge opportunity for transformation because a lot of our whole education market has stayed very similar for a long time. Um, And I'm critically, you know, challenged by a lot of companies that are saying, well, this works in this little isolation, in this pilot, in this little bit where there's a bit of energy or a champion behind it. How have you managed or what kind of things did you implement for companies? Because, I mean, you work with Nestle, Deutsche Bank, Vodafone, you know, huge organizations rolling out big programs of learning. How did you overcome some of those challenges of them actually doing it and <laughs> following through and really engaging? Um, you know, what what were some of the successes that you've you've done?
1: Sure. Um, well, look, I think.
0: A lot of it is driven by a business imperative, isn't it?
1: Um, So there's there's a significant change. So I mean, back in the deepest of time, you know, I was involved in projects that um, was about the uh, the merger between Royal Bank of Scotland and and NatWest, for example. And uh, that's an interesting journey they've been on. Subsequently, isn't it? So they merged and now became Royal Bank of Scotland. And then 2008 happened, and then you know now they're reverting back to their NatWest brand. Interestingly. So um, that's a that's a, a a big cycle that they've been through. But marrying a merger, for example, is is one where you see um, a need to bring some commonality of understanding amongst amongst um, two disparate audiences. They've got different systems in place, perhaps, or maybe you're replacing one with 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 another, and that's that's been a common driver because you've got everyone involved across a large organization. You know, it can be hundreds of thousands of people if they're that that sort of size and internationally spread. And so the only way you can facilitate that is through using um, learning technology um, to present um, as best you can, you know, what the the new ways of working are gonna be um, to maybe simulate those, give people practice in safe ways so that when they, when all of these systems are turned on and become become live, that that that, that you you know you're not you're not um, lost. You know you you know, you know which buttons to push, <laughs> at, at its simplest level. But you also know why you're pushing those buttons at the right sort of times if it's unfamiliar to you. So a lot of big projects were predicated on big business changes like that. Yeah. So, and and there's and it pushes back then. It was pushing organisations to sort of take, if you like, a risk on what was. Early, novel, new, well, yeah, innovative, you know, uh, you know, bleeding edge, almost types of technology and approach to doing it. Now, it that's much more sort of easy and mainstream, you know. So, being able to, you know, L and D teams around um, the world in, and, and learning professionals inside organisations have much more capability um, to to be able to support those types of change. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and the you know the the main. A critical thing to keep in mind is 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 not seeing this as abstract training that people need to do away from their role and their job, but in it it's actually needs to be knitted in to their everyday work experience. Um, so you have a combination of formal learning opportunities, like a backbone almost, which is then wedded with informal uh, learning opportunities, because we we know that more about the learning process now than we did, if, well, if I say that, I mean, it's become more mainstream understood, you know, how learning operates is that we're always doing it. It's all the, it's all the time. It's about being able to nudge and support and and uh, people in the right directions at a faster pace than they would do otherwise using technology, using the right types of content, connecting people to the right people at the right time. And that's what you need to be thinking about. It's a much more holistic design. Yeah approach than, than, than ever before.
0: Um, I like that concept of getting it to the people at the right time in the right context and you you talked there about often it's driven by a business context you know it might be a burning ambition or a burning platform that then will drive this change a merger and acquisition a shift in the marketplace and so if we add now this speed of things Happening, the technology disruption, all coming from lots of places, is that there's almost this uh, urgent need to reskill a workforce to function in different environments. We've all had a you know global experiment of what remote working feels like and looks like, and we've rallied to that, we've adapted to it, and we've adapted our thinking, adapted our systems, and it's a you know, a, another shared. Uh, passion of ours in terms of adaptability, that not only the human side, but also the platforms and systems and things that are adaptable. And we always used to, I remember in lots of projects, it was all about future-proofing or flexibility or these kind of, of words. And I, I'm interested that what have you seen the balance between those more process, technical-led learning programs and has there been a, a, uh, emerging more around some of the soft skills of humans to help them through that process of uncertainty, of well being, of change, of their mental health, rather than just, oh, here's a new software we're using, it needs to be deployed, but mm. not necessarily understanding the human side that, hey, it was part of who you were that you knew that. And now you've got to be vulnerable. Are we supporting you going through the, that transition? Do you see that happening? Or if not happening, when might you see it happen, yeah. or you don't think it is happening? So, all of that kind of area well, of complexity. Sure, sure. So, what you're, what, you're, what,
1: what you're indicating, Ross, is, um, is that in the past, and actually still goes on today, is that we probably take a, a simplistic approach to how we design training and learning. I'll use the word training because in the in the broader context because a lot of organizations around the world and globally you know Totra, we have a very global view of this having what is it now yes you know one thousand six hundred organizations using our platform around the world we get quite an interesting influx of feedback of how people do actually use a platform of our nature to, to, to deliver these things but Can I just when you're designing
0: Quick point there, Lars. So you've got yeah. sixteen hundred organisations on the platform, and is it around twenty million users actively using the yes. you know yeah. platform for whether it's engagement, performance, or learning? So you've got a huge wealth of interactive data that you're building there of how companies are you know dealing with this challenge. So this is not just opinion. I really want people to understand that you know you've got access to such great yeah. information and data to base your views on.
1: Yeah, so um, I mean that's that's almost federated in, in because of our, our model of uh, uh, of how we serve customers is is through our partner network. We have a global partner network, and those experts use our platform to deliver localized solutions, i.e., ones that are really tailored to meet specific needs of each organization or industry sector or region. Um, and I think that's important because back to your question, which is about you know, the learning, unpacking learning into just the technical component of the knowledge or the process steps or, you know, the describing the behaviors that you want people to have discounts the the, the, the emotional impact or, or input that's required to effect a lasting change. And not just that, but, the you know, you need to practice it. <laughs> um, you don't just get, have one hit and, and expect people to have changed. It doesn't work like that um so uh, you know the learning experience for it to be truly effective needs to be considering um yes all of the content aspects of things um so that people understand understand things conceptually and then understand the steps they can take and then they can practice them and then they need to be able to reflect on that and then be able to practice again and 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 just in a slightly different live context and it's it's then that you start to see patterns shift, um, uh, habits change, and, and behaviors start to be, be embedded. So it's, it's a combination of those things. And we, we recognize that more fully now that uh, from, uh, from our perspective at Totra is that you, you can't see it as just learning, especially in a workplace context. It's not just about learning and training people. It's actually also about uh, understanding how engaged people are in their own workplace and that's a factor of, of the culture that they're in um, the nature of how clear the alignment is with with the organization's purpose, um, the team's purpose and then the individual sense of purpose around that right and and then then the the mechanisms that they have to fi- provide feedback so 2a or 360 feedback so that people understand how they're performing. Is it, is it, where can they improve? Where are their strengths? How can they um, really find the right ways to, to, um, to perform at their best? And then how do we collectively as a support function, it, you know, when I say that the sort of wider HR function, but the management community as well inside an organization, how do you support people to do their jobs as well as they can? And often the answer isn't getting in the way, but we often do get in the way. Yeah, yeah. It's actually getting out of the way, <laughs> and, and getting out of the way is is is, a, is is about thinking carefully about that workplace experience, and what are the tools are they using, What yeah. can they find the support they need, both in terms of learning, people,
0: um, and so, um, so in this you know, this concept of. Uh, learning cultures, uh, eternal learning, rather than ah, oh, you go, you get educated, and then you work till you retire from what you were educated before, with an odd bit of top up here and there to mm. you know continual professional development. But really, your learning's done when you're young, uh, and the rest of it is then work experience, right? And you're getting real life experience. We don't necessarily think of that as much historically as learning to now where we're facing career portfolios, people, you know, diverging from industries, roles, all sorts of things that we're we're reigniting career paths and career opportunities that never would have been imagined before. And in a world where we're going to be facing life extension, you know, so we're going to be living healthier and longer, the age at which we're valuable is going to increase and therefore we are going to need to learn more as we go on. And so this this kind of situation of organisations ensuring employability of their workforces for wherever they go to navigate change is a really important concept. And I'd like you to think about two stories of experiences where you've worked with organisations who Whatever the context of change is, uh, putting training in, putting things in, one that worked really well, and a couple of the highlights of why it worked well, and then one, and maybe that was epic fail. You know, they tried mm-hmm. to do something and they hit a roadblock or, or something happened that uh, the listeners can, you know, use because I found stories are super helpful. You know, you can talk about, you know, context, theories, you know, platforms, technology till it becomes real of, ah, it was this team, this is what they were facing, and this is what went wrong or this is what went right, that we can then start to apply some thought process in that. So where have you seen someone doing a training programme well and where have you uh, been involved in something that had an epic fail?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, there's quite a few examples of both, I think, over the years that have accumulated uh, Uh up. I think, um, I mean, like the... one that, would, that was an early example, or a mid, mid-example, mid I think, where we did things right. Collectively, we did things right. This was actually for, um, for Sky, who are the you know the media company um, based out of the UK. Um, well, we were working with the ones out of the UK, and essentially there was some uh, changes in process that needed to be communicated out through their customer service teams. So um, traditionally, what would you do? Well, you'd package up some training deliver it to them and you would you know, pull them off the phones and, and get them to do the training and then they'd come back. Um, so what we did was not that, uh, at, at least not that in isolation. Um, they were quite brave at the time, I'd say, in taking the advice that what we should be doing is really digging into providing support so building some learning opportunities bringing it close to their everyday work experience so simulating it as close as you can Um, yes you do need to take people away from live customers um, but you think about how you reintroduce them and give them time and space to be able to do that well but then also uh do a control group which a lot of organizations are, are you know worry about that because that's sort of is thought of as well that means some people aren't getting the training that we've just spent all this money designing okay but actually doing that meant it revealed what difference did we were making to the performance of those individuals who were getting the training so so it was done as a like an a big a b test if you like in a short window of time because of course ultimately having proved that the the learning was making a positive difference um then of course those other people do get the training <laughs> uh, eventually but Designing the project or the uh, the implementation to take that into consideration is something that um, I'd strongly recommend. It's always recommended, not always taken up because of that fear factor, perhaps, or or an, un, uh, an unfounded sort of pressure of time that's applied to projects. Now, that went on and saved... I mean, it, 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 it saved money in terms of its implementation, but it also demonstrated that, um, you know, customer success scores were improved, um, you know, uh, r- r- sales were improved uh, as they related to that as well, let errors. Um, all of those metrics, business metrics actually moved and you could actually see that because you could spot the difference between the two. It went on to award- win some awards, that was great uh, for the team as well. But um, the main thing is it made that business difference and it was provable.
0: I that's where that's a, it went a really good well. point, you know, in terms of we all have to feed up the chain, whether that's to the end customer or to board or wherever the impact of whatever resources we've been utilising, financial time uh, or otherwise. And having that clarity by the, you know, courage to split and do a test. Um, like you say, it's it's fairly simple, fairly obvious, but takes bravery to just say for a while we're not going to train these people, but we will uh, later if it works, if it figures out. And I think that uh, ability now to get rapid feedback of impact also means you you know the opportunities for doing that are wider. It is not going to take a long time now to get feedback of uh, what's going on, of what's being impacted, because. Everything's so plugged in and integrated now, right? We measure just about everything.
1: um, We do, yeah, we do, and it comes with a health warning, doesn't it? You need to be really clear about the questions you Mm -hmm. are asking and the data that you're looking to measure. You know, you are you focus on the metrics that matter. I think is one of the cliche terms, but it's sort of true. But how do they matter? It's important otherwise you can get swamped in in, in data that, that can yeah. be distracting. Yeah,
0: quite. And you can search for the data to prove what you want rather than a true experiment is you have a hypothesis and mm. you know you're looking for the answer not to justify what you've done. And so that setup is equally important that it's not only the right metrics, but that you're open to what the I the data comes back with
1: yeah. um
0: uh, to 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 do that. You know, if it if it didn't provide it well, that's a great win, so that you're not rolling it out to others and you can redesign your your training or your your interventions that you're doing. If we uh, flip to an epic fail uh, of something that went (laughs) wrong and and why it went wrong, a a bit of a story there. You don't necessarily have to name names of of companies or bits, but um, give us a a story there that might be very helpful and maybe contextually relevant to what we're facing right now of, of such changed circumstances
1: well uh yeah i have sort of genericize i think the the story because it's sort of happened at different times over the years and 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 just most recently it's been seen um, not necessarily amongst actually our total community but um for reasons I can explain, but essentially some organizations have not considered how they implement how the end implementation of the program of learning that they want to. Uh, roll out. Um, they, haven't, they haven't done the work to understand where people's um, minds are collectively. So, so the culture, they've misunderstood the culture. They've misunderstood um, the management teams uh, or the you know the team leads sort of alignment with supporting initiatives. So, you, there's been a lot of investment made in building a, 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 a great program of learning. And then you get tumbleweed, um, situations where you launch it. You just, uh, they you know, do it on a platform and, you know, you, you expect people to come. And, and there's go, been here's little the login,
0: here's the login, go fill your boots and that's job done. Of, in, that's right. Reason, you yeah. Know? So it, yeah.
1: there's been no thinking about, yeah. uh, you know, explaining why this is important. Um, but also, uh, just, failing to design it with the necessary hooks into into, into making it relevant to people. Um, So so that side of things is where I see most of the failures, you know, so it is in that. The other aspect of it is is about resilience and the brittleness of organisations. I think we've just seen that in the past year where um, those organisations who have not invested particularly in understanding their people or supporting their people uh, either in technology terms or um, you know, in cultural terms, um, with the pandemic hitting, you've seen those organisations really struggle to switch to a, a radically different way of working. You know, so the, the remote culture, if uh, it would just, um, I think it. Uh, uh, it, it is an exaggeration of what you had before. Yeah? So, yeah. so so, if it was poor and dysfunctional and fearful, <laughs> then when everyone went remote, then you're only going to get worse performance and productivity and, and probably collapse. And in some cases, that's happened in some organizations. If, on the other hand, you've got, uh, have invested in people and have a culture which has has, has got strong bonds and there's already been evidence of, of of, the sense of safety and good collaboration, and being able to switch mode in that way has been a lot more, you know, um, successful. possible. And possible, yeah. I'm not going to deny it's been probably stressful and challenging for everyone. It has been and still is. Um, But uh, those who have put that in place are in a better place, plus also technology-wise. And that's what we've seen right across our network is because... Because our, our technology is open and, and adaptable, it's meant that organizations could quickly scale or quickly scale back or yep. add integrations or plug into different technologies as they needed. And if you weren't in that situation, then stuff broke. Yep. <laughs> and then when stuff breaks, then, you know, you're, you're in a really difficult position when you've, you're thrown to the hills, you know, all four hills, you know. And it's very changing soon.'
0: It's, it's the realities of when we talk about these things of whether or what, what does a learning culture even bloom look like? you know what is psychological safety? you know we have all of these phrases and terms and then how do we really make that happen and provide that for our workforces when we're a, you know team leaders or head of HR or wh- wherever we sit. Um, is to on a practical level what does that really look like you know and making good technology decisions is one part of it that allows yeah. that flexibility and adaptability to plug into other systems so it flows when there are shifts the other side that we've recognized is just a a lack of understanding of an individual as a human being through those pieces yeah. and that oh that was a nice to have and it was all well-being and we'll put a room in our office and we'll put a gym membership and we'll do those things but the the mental health aspects that we've now seen come exaggerated of we're now you know removed from that connection uh we're just discussing via zoom and we can't you know read the room of what's going on we we haven't got the energy or sense of uh, other departments and other things and it's very hard to navigate those and so i think the the shift that i'm seeing now especially for us in measuring things like resilience measuring unlearning you know gain, being able to predict a change readiness and a reskill score of, of individuals helps you then design on a personal level how to gain that motivation and into, you know, engagement because it's not, as you said, spend all the time creating, go ta-da. You've got to build in those nudges. You've got to build in those behavioral shifts to help them along the way when they're feeling stressed, under pressure, they're having a homeschool. You know, there's all this uh, shift in our complex worlds that we live right now. I'd like to kind of wrap and finish up in a, a couple of areas. And this is... If you were to predict some valuable skills that you want uh, people to ensure they think about in their training, in their rollout, to prepare for the next, say, five years, not even decade, but the next five years, knowing that it will, you know, many perhaps thought at the beginning of the pandemic, oh, let's just hang on, hold tight to our seats, and then we'll get back. Uh, That's gone now. So many are going, okay, there's things here that are gonna stay, because it is better things that aren't better but what what skills what areas what kind of uh, training programs would you look to advise to companies with all of your experience to prepare them for what's coming ahead for the uncertainty for the complexity what what would you focus on um, in in your design of that
1: sure and um, there's um, a couple of things here there is there's, there's one which is. You... have could you could split it down in terms of you know hard skills and soft skills in in one way um and if you if you there's two things that uh, i think have been happening anyway but have been massively accelerated and and brought to the fore in the past uh, you know the past months and the the first one is 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 just recognizing that we're all in a digital sector now you know so every every organization is being transformed fundamentally into an information technology-driven, digital-driven organization, even if you haven't spotted it yet. Um, It's happening. So that breaks down into, so whoever does whatever job roles in an organization, those job roles are going to get changed and transformed. And an understanding of how digital is doing that is going to be very helpful to you (laughs) in saying, relevant um and staying employable and being able to make that switch to whatever alternative uh set of competencies that will make up a more skills that will make up a, a new job role and and you, you talk about five years that's probably you put, you can't even see that far because of the level of change that's likely to be sort of really happening over the next that, that period So there's that side of it and then there's the the softer skills side um which is I mean the the World Economic Forum had report out in October 2020, and and that was painting a, a, a strong list of of what they feel are the key skills that you need, and most of those are uh, are around you know, building resilience, um, being comfortable with change in a positive way, um, uh, being able to um, work effectively with others so collaboration skills and communication skills they've always been important i mean they're not never ever not been important yeah. it's just i think we're now seeing that big chunks of job roles which have been very process and, and uh, oriented say um are more prone to automation so they'll, those aspects of the job change and we'll be working alongside technology and and this almost loops back so where yeah. we started this conversation, a, yeah. which is, you know, the the nature of the tools and the that we're using, the technologies we're using need to be supportive of us, you know. So yes. they need to have learning in them to enable us to move from novice through to expert users in a seamless way. And and that technology is there, you know, it's only going to become more prevalent and
0: supportive. I, I remember over the years, you know, you I wouldn't see a, a CV come in that didn't say I work well with teams and by myself, you know, it's always been there, this collaboration and work well with others, especially if we want to achieve more than just a siloed, you know, uh, creation of, of art or, or endeavor. I think what shifted is really important point you made there Lars around the world that we now swim in the water that we're swimming is a digital one. So to, the collaboration, the team, the playing well with others, is now the playbook is changed. Mm-hmm. We're in water that's digital. Um, and so whilst we might have had the skills and the playbook to collaborate with team members when we can get in the same room, when we can do those bits, but and every now and again, do it via a video conference. Now, how do we do those things where the video conference and disconnect is the norm? that technology should serve us. And it shouldn't be a, oh, you've got mute on again, or this is happening. Or, you know, if we like to post it to moving around in our design sprints, how can we use software like Miro? Or, you know, all sorts of different things that are able, that potentially are fearful of what's unknown. You know, a new Mm. thing comes in, oh, I'm fearful of that AI, of that technology, of these things, because I don't know it yet. So as leaders, I think the, Fundamental of embracing uh, new things is the new leadership playbook to be mm. comfortable in that uncomfort um, and you know to create the place where it will be feeling like a child again, to be curious, mm. to be vulnerable, to explore in those uh, edges and those fringes, and where before you talked about, ah, it was a risk. It was a risk to do these things that were edge and niche uh, in terms of technologies. Now, I think it's the flip, is the risk is not to embrace those. Yeah,
1: Yeah, indeed. And I think from a leadership perspective, how do you um, structure your organisation or or nurture your organisation to support that type of culture and environment? And, you know, that I think needs a fresh look at, at, the, at, at what your people function is and how it's structured. Um, it's typically in many organizations still quite siloed, you know, around you know, having an LD team and internal comms team, a performance management uh, sort of team. And, and, and there's a danger, and it often happens, is that you just get lots of competing noise down at the employee's screen and desk, you know, in terms of, uh, attention you know so, is it, so am i doing learning now am i doing performance now am i what's this leadership leader program that i now need to do so there needs to be alignment around that thinking a bit more holistically about that work-based experience yep so that's and that's that's exactly what we're about at totara is to provide that foundation so that you can in a unified way have learning managed performance managed Provide a collaborative space in which it's, yeah. it can self-organize over time. Otherwise, you get chaos. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Otherwise, you get a lot of friction and frustration. I think we all want to see it change to, to be um, frictionless and, and
0: fun It's a, <laughs> and effective. A great piece, frictionless, to remove mm. friction. And you talk to a few little gold nuggets of sometimes it's just getting out of the way is the, the opportunity yeah. and removing things, you know, it's the multiplication by subtraction. So by removing some of those key friction points in the experience, you then can multiply the effectiveness or performance or wherever it may be. And mm. I'd love this vision that you share of rather than it, it's an event, it's a workshop, I've got to go and do that. And it's something on my list to do and to be managed to just, I've redesigned the work experience And the experience then is made up of all of these different things that might be productivity and learning and something else. And we've looked at the moments that we can have impact. You know, where can we bring joy? Where can we bring a smile? Where can we bring an opportunity for them to share what they've learned from a silo to a colleague and feel that, you know, empowered sense when you've helped someone else, you know, it's an incredible endorphin rich, you know, dopamine hit when you've served somebody and, you know, and to, to give people the opportunity to do that is uh, an exciting time to be alive that, you know, we can create systems and tools, but at the heart of it is always the human. Um, Absolutely.
1: And I, one final point though, I think, you know, we, the, the, this is not a choice. Organisations anymore, you know, expectations have changed. You know, uh, I know right now we're in a pandemic, and there's an awful lot of things that have been thrown uh, at us that, that have forced things and very uncomfortable change, and probably in sometimes the wrong direction. It feels, but if you look slightly beyond that, and optimistically look beyond that, you can see that people in coming into the workforce, um, expectations of what that means to work is shifting so if you're interested in attracting talent and holding on to talented people um, and those skills that we were talking about earlier you know are still in short supply relatively yep. they need to be more ubiquitous and they will be um, you know that that's you, you need to think very carefully about that that experience and, yeah. and to it's make a, it attractive
0: a key you know uh, employee benefit is the development of that employee Um, And that is essential, especially when the half-life of skills and bits are shrinking all the time that we've got to be on this continual journey. Well, I I can't wait. We've got so many uh, plans and interactions together in our collaborations and our our futures. Um, I'm looking forward to our webinar coming up as well and uh, how our two organizations can help. That same mission to ensure people aren't left behind. You know, how do we provide a future for everyone that brings a smile, that brings joy uh, and excitement, and doesn't feel like, you know, going back to the memories of, oh, I have to go back to school, uh, you know, kind of sense, but just know this is enriching my life. And I'm really feel privileged to have met you in our journey at this stage. And I'm excited to see what we can create together. So thanks very much, Lars, for joining us. Thanks, Ross. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams, and organizations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.